Leaders Talk, the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world. Powered by Leadership Choices. We thought about um, the topic of leadership, we thought about the topic of, uh, of teams, and then the big, big question that we had overall was um, how to make an organization adaptable. And uh, as we all don't know how the organization looks like, and, and if there's really like this one blueprint, uh, which we don't think there is, um, but we certainly had a hunch of saying, well, most certainly organizations that will survive more successfully in the future will be the ones that have well, in the core, a more um, um, a stronger focus on the topic of self-organization. We need to disregard hierarchy. We need to find those people who are willing to step into that journey with me. So I will be pulling people in from across the value chain. I don't care what level they are on. Those that are ready to change, those that are ready to think bigger, they will be part of this transformational group that I will be leading. Uh, and then we will sort of design the new normal, the new business backbone for this company. I think it's not just about innovation. People think about, you know, innovation is, is maybe one of the driver, but it's not just only about innovation. Innovation alone or technology innovation would not give you a sustainable um, growing future. I think you need to think about how to balance my portfolio in terms of what the society is going. Hello, my name is Carsten Draht and you're listening to a new episode of Leaders Talk. Today's episode is about how leaders and organization can and should prepare for tomorrow. What can we learn from the current situation? What can we learn from the current pandemic? And we will have a very interesting panel discussion in a minute with five high caliber guests. But listen for yourself. The next part of the session is going to be recorded, and this is our today's panel discussion on preparing leaders and organizations for tomorrow. And before we start, or as we start, I would like to properly introduce the panel to you. So who do we have sitting on the bar chairs virtually on the stage, um, ready to share their experiences with us? So first of all, we have Louise Bang. Um, uh, Louise is a person um, that has a brand of, of turning companies agile, of making companies agile. She has done this with Danfoss or at Danfoss. Um, she has done this, at least tried to, at Bombardier. And uh, now she is working at Mitsubishi Heavy Industries Vestas, who have a joint venture to develop offshore wind parks. And we will learn what she learned about um, changing a culture into more adaptability, which is something that we heard is a key thing. So welcome, Louise. Next panelist is Shoshun Kleva. Uh, Shoshun is a, is a 
very experienced technology person who combines a deep understanding of technology with a, a, a deep understanding on how the world of senior management, top management works in different industries. So uh, she was instrumental in getting uh, the new S4HANA product within SAP off the ground and was also instrumental within Renier, which is the kind of Swiss equivalent of Axel Springer, Uh, for the digitalization strategy of this of this group, and she is now uh, a board member of uh, multiple boards um, in Finion, Capgemini, uh, Allianz Austria, to only to name a few, and uh, is also a specialist on on Chinese culture and Chinese business. So welcome, Shoshin. And we have Jürgen Lux. Um, Jürgen is uh, at one point used to be kind of a regular consultant. Um, But then he developed into something that is called asset-based consulting, which is um, lingo for programming software or producing a software product or a series of software products. And uh, Jürgen has built a company in a company. So that's the, that's the definition of an entrepreneur, I would say. And this company is now standing alone within the motherhood. And um, so we will talk about the challenges what this brings with, with, uh, with that fact of having a company in the company. So welcome, Jürgen, to the panel. And we have uh, Dr. Marcel Vollmer, who is the Chief Innovation Officer of Celonis. So Celonis, if you don't know this, is one German unicorn. And what I learned from Marcel, it is not only a unicorn. So a unicorn is a company with a market capitalization of more than one billion. It is actually a Pegasus. So that's a, a unicorn with wings, if you recall. Um, and this is a company that has a market capitalization well of above two billion. So it's a, it's a big su success story in the startup scene. And uh, Marcel used to be the chief procurement officer of SAP, used to be uh, chief digitalization officer of Ariba and the cloud business group within SAP. And uh, so we will talk about also the differences between the culture of a large enterprise and um, a startup culture. So welcome, Marcel. Great to have you with us. And we have, last but by no means uh, uh, least, we have Daniel Vonnier, just because V is the, happens to be the last uh, name, he, uh, last letter. Um, so Daniel um, came from Deutsche Telekom to SAP, and he has not a very small task. His task is to drive the organizations into unlearning hierarchy. So how do you do this? How do you actually unlearn hierarchy in an organization. And this is our panel for today. So please welcome our panelists. All right. So first question goes to Luisa. Um, Luisa, um, Danfoss, that's, that's a story where you drove uh, a company into adaptability, flexibility, into in involving new ways of working agility. Then there was Bombardier. If you compare the two, what, what was different in Bombardier than Danfoss? What have you learned? <clears throat> yeah, so what have I learned? So first of all, there are two large corporations. One has a Scandinavian uh, origin and the other one has a Canadian origin. And I think already the cultural background um, is maybe where you find the, the, the biggest um, difference between those two. So at Danfoss, what I learned is there was not only a will to wanting to change, but there was also the I call it the breath, meaning because it is family-owned, because it was Danish, because it was a wealthy company, there was a lot of breath and time 
no pressure to do this change. So we could really do the change management in the proper way, make sure that everybody comes along on that journey. At Bombardier, that was a different uh, ballgame. Uh, Bombardier was in a deep crisis and probably still is. There was no time, no money, and the people were already worn out. So to drive change in a company where there's so much pressure um, and actually very little time, I think is almost a mission impossible. I'm sure some people would be capable of it, but in, in, in my particular case, I, I had to say stop and say this is simply too, um, too harsh conditions to drive true transformation uh, without really jeopardizing the people's health and well-being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for your openness. Um, Shoshun, um, you have, uh, you have um, a, a lot of, I would like to focus on your time at Ring Ye. So uh, Ring Ye, um, as an equivalent of, of the Axel Springer Group in, in, uh, in Switzerland, had a strategy uh, of changing or getting out of this dying print business and investing into digital startups and then com combining them into kind of a cluster, a technology cluster. Um, and your role was CTO at that point in time. Shoshin, can you, can you explain us the challenges that you were facing with kind of Yeah, getting this together or getting getting the benefit out of that um, idea of the integration. Okay, I think everybody knows the media industry is uh, struggling, and their competitors or the let's say the the major uh, challenges are technology giants, right? Uh, these are so the the advertising industry is the main revenue driver for them. But uh, the advertising uh, cake, the ma majority part is shared by Google and Facebook and, and you know, all these uh, technology gems. The media industry by default was not a technology um, native industry. So people are more kind of um, still in the face or how do I say in, in terms of bring what we have done offline, like of the paper into uh, online, but uh, kind of do not change the business model is just bring the things online. So, and then you probably also observed um, in media industry, whether it's Axel Springer, whether it's a Bettersmann and Posim Zadans and during year, to diversify the risk, they have built a huge portfolio with a majority share or, um, or minority share of startups in all kinds of uh, online businesses, from selling the glasses, uh, the furniture, to selling houses, um, used cars, or, you know, concert event. These are the kind of all different. And also they diversified regionally, geographically into Africa and Asia. I think this more or less everybody has done the same job. But the challenge is if you have a huge portfolio of uh, different kind of a business in it with a different kind of a majority in terms of a digital majority, uh, maturity, uh, how do you try to derive Uh, some sustainable assets for the future. And this is a big challenge, I think, for everybody. Uh, when I joined the Ring Year, I said, you know, the only way to do this is you have to derive 
the knowledge of your customers, knowledge of your market, and the knowledge of your day-to-day transactional business, and and that part uh, derive it and and use that part to build a platform for future business. And on top of that, you have to change the business model from uh, advertising revenue as a cash cow to recurring revenues and upselling and and cross-selling. So those are the strategies, and I do not want to go into the details. The majority, the main challenges for people who has been managed in terms of uh, top line and bottom line as a financial uh, kind of only KPIs to monitoring the performance is very difficult for them to uh, cross silos to collaborate, to uh, join together to build a new business model across the group at the group level is very difficult. And also for people kind of to change what they're doing uh, in the past 20 years and, and try to uh, cr- create a new revenue source is, is uh, create a, a lot of fear emotionally for people. And this actually, I think, uh, is a big hurdle for a lot of companies to transform. It's more on the, on the emotional side, psychologically, both at the leadership level, how leaders to manage their own emotion and the emotion of their people, and how to help people to unlearn what they've done in the last years, to learn new things. And those are the leadership skills I realized um, were not were not very well, let's say, prepared in in majority of organizations. We're not there. Thank so, you. And and you were part of the board. I mean, you really had. I mean, one would one should think. Well, you just say that needs to be done, and then it should happening. So, what was the number one resistance that you faced? Carsten, before you go on, may I give you an advice from our technical crew? We have so great panelists here. Could you stop your screen of presentation and bring the panelists in the center of the screen? This is a great idea. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, I think the, as a member of executive board, you have uh, you are sitting between the chairs. You know, the, the top let's say and you is is the supervisory board or the shareholder right and i think before covid uh, what we all observe is even everybody's doing digital initiatives the shareholder side is still very keen on a quick return on capital uh, employed and return on investment so you you need to show very quick um, something uh, what you are doing has impact on the revenue side or on the cost side. This is the one pressure I think all the executives uh, have, including the CEOs. On the other hand, um, in terms of transforming a, a whole company, it's not uh, some single hero can do it. You need kind of uh, the whole system to move and at a pretty fast pace. And that uh, requires a lot more than just, you know, the executive see, I want this and that, right? Everybody's saying from strategy to the shop floor operation, it takes two years. 
um, if you know the strategy can change within two hours, but the whole organization, the whole system to run really at the fast pace to implement this strategy takes years. And these are, I think, the dilemmas a lot of executives have, including myself. I realize the hand are bound. We do not have the, you know, the entire freedom to be able to do the things we would like to do. And because the understanding of at the supervisory board level and also to change the whole organization, it requires a lot more than just a few executives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Great analysis. And uh, Jürgen, so the story, your story is that you actually are one of the few leaders that has the ability to build up a business from scratch. So this asset-based consulting, the RegTech group that you have formed within, um, uh, within BearingPoint, uh, this is something that you started and you're still in it. So this is, I think, a great story. I would like to shed light on one particular incident that even made it to the press so it's it's public knowledge um, at one point you had a problem with your software and you were on the title pages of magazines that you didn't like a lot so t what what was the impact what happened there and what role did the culture play for that Jürgen? Yeah, thank you thank you Karsten and hello to to everyone here in in this uh, in this uh, discussion. Um, well, for, first of all, um, per, perhaps it was really a dream to, to wear on a cover page uh, and to, to be very precise. It was not a, not a magazine, it was the, the German uh, Börsenzeitung and we made it on the, on the front page, unfortunately not with a positive but uh, with a negative um, headline that uh, with the problems we uh, have been facing with uh, our, our software product, we would set uh, the entire financial uh, regulation at risk, at least for the German market. That, that was more or less the, the headline. And um, of course, that was a very tough time, approximately one year, 18 months, uh, until we we could uh, uh, resolve the the issue and came back into more calm waters. Um, uh, nevertheless, uh, your, your question regarding what did it change or what was the main impact on our culture and um, what was so so important? Uh, first of all, I think uh, it's it's mainly. An, an exercise where we were not used to. Um, our culture as a consulting, mainly a consulting company, bearing point, is not used to be on the on the cover page. And um, interestingly, um, it was um, less our our customers uh, itself who blamed us for the situation. But interestingly, it was more our internal organization uh, and probably you know that, that Bearing Point is a partner organization, a partner-led organization. And uh, unfortunately, I received a lot of calls from, from co uh, colleagues who said, well, Jürgen, what are you doing? You set the entire uh, company at risk. Um, on the other hand, um, it gave us the, the chance to further develop our well, cultural inspiration because in, in such a crisis, it was quite obvious that only 
if we work very closely together and it's then a, mainly a question of, of trust um, how you can come out of this uh, difficult uh, situation and um, now um, having mastered this challenge i would say we are definitely much stronger than we were before mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that will be one of those crises where you kind of learn and, and come come out stronger and then there is another case where you are building this company within the company what is the what why do you do this well uh, the, the reason is, is very simple to to make a long story short it, it's mainly because our our business model is not any longer a, a professional service consulting business model. And it's much more a pure um, software or managed service uh, business model. And it was uh, for many, many years, it was no problem because the, the business was uh, so small. But now going the business to almost 600 people and an overall turnover of 100 plus million uh, a year, um, that's a different uh, different ball game. Mm -hmm. uh, today we have um, employed approximately 400 software developers, and a software developer is an, another animal, so to say, than a, a pure consulting uh, employee. And it was quite obvious uh, if we want to continue this success story for the next uh, years, we have to change something. And to change something means um, we are today more or less a completely independent organization uh, within the consulting group of Bearing Point. Um, that means we have our own HR department, we have our own uh, finance department, we have our own marketing uh, department, we have a different uh, structure, how to onboard people, how to train people. And now we are really starting to, to come to the final points. Uh, we have just started an initiative to, to discuss uh, what kind of values and principles we want to follow in, in future uh, to, to build our own NDA and culture for the future. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, Jürgen. And uh, Marcel, so um, Marcel is a, a very, very interesting person. And one of the key features that I observe with Marcel is his speed of walking. So when I walk alongside Marcel, I need to jog. That's his current, that's his normal speed. And uh, I think it is also okay to share that you do like Red Bull light these days, but that's kind of your natural nutrition. So you are, you are a driven person, Marcel, if I if I may say that, and with all the utmost respect for that. And uh, you, ch you changed the, your world from a large company, 100,000 employees, if that is enough uh, in SAP, and moved into Celonis, which is a Munich and New York headquartered, very hip startup, growing very fast. So Marcel, in terms of culture, in terms of um, how to operate, um, what are the main differences that you came across? Thanks, Carsten, and uh, good morning, everyone. So you perfectly described me, Red Bull. I just had um, <clears throat> one uh, this morning. Um, I really like it. Speed matters. That's what I'm absolutely convinced about. But also, 
you need to have strategic thinking and also um, deliver quality for to meet customer experience. No doubt about that. It's not only about uh, the speed. But one change, what I experienced, and this was really amazing, seeing SAP and um, um, I see Chao Chong is here. Um, she knows uh, SAP also very well. Um, that this is a tremendously large organization and very complex. And when you really want to get things done, you also recognize, wow, <clears throat> such a big organization has its challenges. SAP is an amazing company, no doubt about that. But it is also, when you want to really drive things and execute, I think it's a good question also, um, how can you make that happen? And I figured out that Celonis, um, when I learned about the technology, I was totally excited. Probably not everyone knows about it, but thanks also for your great description. Celonis um, basically provides a kind of X-ray on all your IT systems, gives you a visualization and allows you based on AI and machine learning capabilities to enhance all your processes. So basically you only need to focus on your operational suite and then you can you can optimize and automate um, all the backend processes. And I learned, wow, this is an amazing technology and the unicorn status is something what happened one and a half years back. Um, it seems also that the adoption and the recognition in the capital market, at least for some of the investors, was very high because it is one of the very few European technologies which you see are going out now into the world. Where do you have that? So we are using, I'm using now an iPhone. Um, I use my, my computer. I use Google every day. Um, Facebook sometimes for, for updates a little bit less in the last, last months, I have to admit. Um, and all of that I order regularly from, from Amazon. All of that basically is US um, based and developed there. I know China is also very innovative, no doubt about that, but I think more impactful for us. Um, is definitely what I see is coming mainly or predominantly from Silicon Valley. And Celonis is one of the, uh, probably I should um, a little, take a little bit faster and, um, and uh, not, to, not to bore people. <laughs> Niels, <laughs> could you put your, I'm sorry, Niels, could you put your on, on mute? I'm sorry, Marcel. No worries. Please continue. Awesome. awesome. And so basically with that, I'm, I got really excited about seeing that technology um, from, from Europe is conquering the world and really adding a lot of value. And what I also experienced, Celonis has an amazing success story in growing. Two years back, the company didn't have 200 people. Um, when I joined August last year, the company had close to 600 people. As of today, we are very close to 1,000. So we are going really a very fast pace. And this is also showing a little bit the dynamic, not only that fortunately we are more on the winning side of the digital transformation and the current situation. I don't want to say that anything is good about COVID-19. It's horrible, a disease, and um, there's no positive thing about that. Um, on the other side, what we also observe is there's an acceleration in the digital transformation. Chao uh, Zhong described it perfectly about uh, what's happening in the media industry. I think more or less all companies are now impacted by that. And video conferences, a virtual conference, what you're doing, by the way, congrats for the technical organization. This is now common. Everyone is doing that. Mm -hmm. And this is really also showing that we have some positive things. What we also see, and you ask about the different sizes of the companies, the speed of getting decisions 
going into a new market, opening a new office. We are now releasing that we open offices in Madrid, um, in France and some other um, countries. So that's really something also where you see, wow, <clears throat> you sit together in the morning, in the afternoon, the decision, you make a communication and then it gets done. That's really something I have to admit, I really enjoy and it's a big difference in the speed of execution. And this is something also, you mentioned my speed, um, it energizes me and I hope also being a part of that to contribute to the success by bringing in some ideas and also helping that Hopefully, we will take the right decisions and continue to go very fast now, going from the 100 million revenue, almost 1,000 people, now to the next level, and hopefully become um, a similar successful story what SAP definitely is. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Marcel. Um, okay. Now, Daniel. Daniel has an easy job. Um, so he just came to SAP from a, from a company that is even larger. So it was actually a smaller company then. And his only job is just to, to make sure that SAP is, is losing or is, has less hierarchy, unlearning hierarchy. Daniel, what kind of mission are you on? Can you fill us in on that? Thank you. Yeah. So um, the, the notion of unlearning hierarchy is certainly uh, a deliberate provocation that we uh, started with. Actually, we thought about um, our organizational development practice within SAP. And uh, like before, what was happening um, uh, around us with all the technological technology-driven changes, society-driven changes, um, we really felt that um, the old system of you know reorganization, restructuring um, doesn't lead to, to a real purposeful end. So um, when we started to think about um, what the focus of our organizational development practice is, we thought about um, the topic of leadership, we thought about the topic of, uh, of teams, and then the big, big question that we had overall was um, how to make an organization adaptable. And uh, as we all don't know how the organization looks like, and, and if there's really like this one blueprint, uh, which we don't think there is, um, but we certainly had a hunch of saying, well, most certainly organizations that will survive more successfully in the future will be the ones that have, well, in the core, a more, um, um, a stronger focus on the topic of self-organization. Uh, and self-organization means in short, and this is where also the, the notion of, of unlearning hierarchy comes from, is that we need to rethink the way we look at leadership, right? So uh, where we come from and how organizations are built was um, that leadership and um, the people that, that did the job, so the thinking and, the, and the, the handwork, the execution was separated back then. And although this is like many decades ago, um, our organizational setups and the way we think and, and, and act on leadership is frequently pretty close to what has been set up initially. And uh, it doesn't work um, in terms of operational organizational system um, anymore. Um, and we see and feel this more and more and more. And so the question was, well, what, what needs to change then? And uh, what we thought needs to change, and this is what we um, hear in, in every interaction with, with our leaders and top executives in the company, is that we need to rethink the topic of leadership. We need to... Um, Think about um, the topic of, of power. We need to um, ad address this topic. We need to address the topic of authority, of um, you know decision-making processes. And um, although, especially in the German um, in, uh, cultural area, that the topic of power is not used uh, as much and, 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 and people try to avoid this term, it's something that we need, really need to confront ourselves. And why do we think so? Um, because... Um, and uh, Shoshin, you said that nicely before. It's not about, you know, just uh, educating the leader. It's about like 
um, going into the system, working in the system with the system, um, and qualify it for for um, for a future orientation and for future fitness. And this means that the designated leaders at the top of the organization they need to start releasing some of the power. They need to start distributing. Um, the authority a bit more in, in the teams. And then there's the other movement that is um, the ones that, um, you know, have just uh, delivered what they have been told to. They need to step up and they need to uh, make leadership as a conscious choice and say, well, you know, I'm not a designated leader on paper, but I'm taking this ownership. I'm taking this leadership and, and I'm really um, going to step this, this um, take this step forward that I, that I wouldn't have done in the past. And so these two movements, so from, you know, the leader, the designated leader from the top, going down a little bit and distributing his or her uh, authority and power, and then the rest of the organization taking the other uh, movement, these are two movements that need to take place at the same time. Both, I would say, are um, equally difficult. And if this happens, then the system gets really shaped, right? Because, I mean, if you look at the leader, um, and and he would if 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 he would confront him or herself with with um, with that change, then the question is well if I'm not taking the last decision if I'm not you know being fully responsible on on budget decisions on um, on on recruiting decisions so who am I and what justifies my higher payment my my higher grading um, that's the one uh, big question and there's a lot going on in, in individuals when they need to release this power and ask this question and then on the other side. Um, a, a very interesting quote that I that I heard in, in my environment was um, when I transferred more um, authority to people was, um, Daniel, I think that's beyond my pay grade. Um, and I think this is a very um, representative um, um, uh, attitude, I would even say, of many people in the organization who were used to being grown up in an area where they were just told to do things, right? And so this more of um, responsibility, this more of um, taking the ownership um, for, for their own work is also something difficult because out of a sudden you're in a situation and you're taking decisions um, that might have implications that um, you, you weren't so much aware of it, right? Because, I mean, it was also, um, I guess, somehow comfortable to say, well, see, this is this goes up until this um, this this stage, and then I'm just doing the upward delegation, right? And then I'm not, not responsible. Um, and that's also, of course, a, a nice way then then to find some scapegoats in the organization, which can be the leader, because at the end, I mean, it was his or her decision. You know, I just I just provided the, the PowerPoint, and I think this is a real cultural shift that we need to make. This doesn't mean that hierarchies don't exist. They will always exist in any constellation. In the animal world, it's, it's pretty visible, uh, but also in, in, in the human world, we always see it. But we need to change our way uh, of dealing with hierarchy and not take it as a granted, but see how functional it is and, and how functional it can be to build a purpose-fit organization. And this is, um, in, in summary, a little bit the endeavor that we are um, taking um, here at SAP. I like your metaphor of this bi-directional movement, like stepping, letting go of control and power and stepping up and taking it. I think that's, that's really essential. What's the number one resistance you're facing, Daniel? Look um, patterns and the, um, the habits, right? I mean, as I said before, and that's the second part of the hierarchy, unlearning hierarchy. I mean, if you, and you, you talk to Gerhard Hüther, um, he would kill me but when I say unlearn, because basically there is no unlearn. It's mm -hmm. not like in technology that you copy paste a new operational system into people's heads. It just doesn't work like this, right? So um, when I talk to, um, to, to neuroscientists, I think what, what um, they gave me as a picture, which I very much like, say, 
Guys, I mean, you have been driving on the same autobahn years and years and years. You have created your um, mental patterns, right? Um, and just to move from this one um, um, autobahn to the other one is like a huge effort. And it just doesn't help if you do it once and you change your mind, your attitude once, but you need to drive on this different lane years and years and years again, right? And um, I think the biggest resistance is um, the individual, but not the individual as such, because he or she is super resistant. But um, like you've been born and raised in, a, in an organizational system that expects something from you, right? So it's not only about my choice to act in a certain way. And it's not about my choice to say, well, you know, then I'm just transferring authority in the organization. This is a process. This is an, 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 an active, um, let's say, transformation that needs to take place. And of course, on the one hand side, it's behavior and and um, and, and attitude that comes into into the play, but also organizational structures, right? If we look at, at, into unlearning hierarchy, it's not just working with the sole leader at the top of the organizational charts. It's about working with the entire organization and then more fundamentally working on um, the level of uh, systems processes that are often not in line with what we actually want to achieve in the future in, in, with our organizations. So there's not this one barrier. I think it's a nice mixture. Um, that, uh, I guess, keeps us alive for the next uh, years. And, and honestly, I mean, it's a journey, right? I mean, Joshin, you said that before, um, it takes like two years um, from top to, to, to shop floor um, and um, changing an organizational system with the culture. I mean, that's a journey. That's a huge journey, probably without a destination, right? We always <laughs> will stay on that journey. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Great. Um, so I like this metaphor of journey, Luisa. If you if we look at the journey that lays ahead of you, so you just joined uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries and investors um, for the, the offshore uh, wind business. Um, what's your agenda? What is your plan? How is your, how is your approach to attack the topic of culture, of leadership, of hierarchy, of agility. So what is your, is there something like a recipe? Is there an analysis thing? You've, you've, I mean, you've, you've gone through quite some different companies with different cultures. So can you, can you share that with us? Louise? Yeah, I was on mute. Yeah, I'm still here. So, yeah, Good. well, super cool input that the panel has come with, absolutely. And I can only, I was, I think I was nodding all the time while you guys were speaking. So it's very, very interesting to be part of. The, um, to your question, Carson, the journey that I've embarked upon at MHI Vestas is a complete, it is still of transformational character, uh, but it's, it's in a different context. So, MHI Vestas is, as you said uh, in your introduction, a joint venture between uh, a, a Japanese culture and a, or a Japanese company and a Danish company. So you have two very extremely different cultures that have to cooperate around this business. Now, the business is only, the joint venture was established five years ago. And um, so it's a very young company, you can say. So is there a real culture already? I think I try to see, is there a culture already? And um, hmm, the company has grown from 400 people to 5,000 people within five years. And they're expected to grow uh, exponentially with another five over the next uh, five years. So um, the, 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 the 
how should I say, is that culture, is that not? Of course, there must be some culture, but it is more a startup culture, I would still say, even though it is a joint venture that stands on the shoulders of two giants, because these 5,000 people already were, were just thrown into one bucket, say, now do it. Um, there's still a, a large um, entrepreneurial culture, uh, at, uh, you know, there right now. The, the transformation that the company now needs to do is to go from this kind of entrepreneurial culture into a more professional and stable culture. And, and that doesn't sound very sexy, does it? Because, uh, you know, we rather, in, in most companies say, well, we want to stay entrepreneurial and blah, 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 blah. But um, actually that can, um, that can um, eventually kill a company if you don't put some structure to, uh, to your business when you grow so fast. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the task that I was given was to say, Louise, now with everything that you see across the value chain, how do we make sure we connect the dots all the way from first customer contact until we actually erect those uh, massive wind turbines uh, above the sea level? Um, and so how do I approach that? I would still approach it in a very, very classical way. I completely agree with you, Daniel, we need to disregard hierarchy. We need to find those people who are willing to step into that journey with me. So I will be pulling people in from across the value chain. I don't care what level they are on. Those that are ready to change, those are ready to think bigger, they will be part of this transformational group that I will be leading. Uh, And then we will sort of design the new normal, the new business backbone for this company um, that we need to to establish in order to grow uh, at the same pace as the company has grown at this point. Um, So far, because the majority of the people have a a history in the wind industry, um, these are already extremely brainy people. They already know what to do. They are just waiting for somebody to set the direction and tie it all together. And that will be my, my task. So I think this is probably one of the easiest tasks I've had in my career so far because <laughs> um, the, the willingness is there. The will and everybody can see where we're going. Everybody can see the purpose. And if we draw a little parallel to Corona, I mean, when Corona came, we all instantly transformed like hell into living in the world to a world. I mean, that was an, uh, a transformation without leadership. Everybody just stepped in because everybody saw the necessity. And I think it's a little bit the same where I've arrived now at MHIVS. Everybody understands that we cannot grow at the same pace if we don't get our, our, our ducks in a row, if you want to say so. Mm-hmm. So, so, that's, so maybe maybe fruitful thoughts for this group here, maybe the foundation for, for change is that, that we need to make sure that everybody just, just sees the urgency, the need. And how do you do that? Well, either by having a crisis like Corona or hmm, maybe just by very, very, very clear communication. Mm-hmm. And I think what I, what I also hear from the different panelists is that depending on where you are and which place, there are different challenges for the culture. What is the next step, right? For you, it might be, what is the structure? What is the direction? How do I get alignment? How do I channel the motivation and the commitment into a, into a healthy direction? Whilst for others, it is maybe breaking up the structure and, and getting things to move again, right? So that maturity level, that, that also seems to be important. Thank yes. You. 
Thank you. Um, so, Shashin, you you are now in a position where you are you are you move from executive board member to supervisory board member. Um, how do you and I mean Infineon, um, Capgemini, Alliance Austria, and then there was another one that I that I forgot even. Um, so, and and your role is an advisor not only on technology but also on even macroeconomic development. So what would be, what is your recommendation to the companies that you help supervise? How should they prepare for the future? So Carlson, this is definitely not a one size fits all answer to everybody. Um, what are my observation uh, during my board duties? Uh, there are difference between uh, the player who are already playing at the top means they're already very, well established in terms of um, a portfolio which can have the uh, sustainable growth for the future and uh, players who are still kind of struggling in terms of catching up playing the catching up uh, games so different companies every company has its own challenge it's not like the top players would then um, have time to breathe and 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 you know take a break it's not like this um, i think what what we observed um, through corona or the covid um, there there is uh, some lessons learned i would say in in this manner so first of all, I think all the feedback I got from the companies is the employee are very supportive in terms of switch overnight from working in the office to working from home. That's not the issue at all, none of these companies. Uh, the second is um, suddenly I think for a lot of uh, companies, the liquidity become a big, big uh, top priority, right? Uh, because if no revenue comes in, uh, are we go are we going to survive? Can we still pay? You know the the purchasing we have bought, uh, or can we still pay our employees? Do we have a sufficient liquidity mm -hmm. to survive for a period of time? Right, that become a ma major topic, Prior priority one. I would say even above. Uh, digital transformation and um, so COVID is probably an accelerator to tell everybody digital we will li be living in a digital world that is no question at all uh, everything what you have done in terms of digital transformation before you need to accelerate that two times or three times everybody now accepts this this is no question at all the question is uh, how right how to implement it mm. I, I think for um, a lot of, um, you know, as you said, Luisa, everybody knows at the strategy level what needs to be done, which is pretty clear. The question is how get it implemented. And now, not only how get it implemented, how get it implemented in a speed which is necessary to cope with the market changes. I think this is a, a big question for all the companies. And the second question is, uh, through Corona, we all realize the whole world is so connected geographically, uh, which is, has been embedded into the whole supply chain, everything demand side and, and supply side, you know, the geographic connection become a so permanent 
And now people are thinking about how can we decouple the whole world instead of, you know, to couple. I think the, the, the connection or how connected we are uh, make a lot of companies to rethink um, whether, you know, the whole optimized uh, uh, process or, or production before the just-in-time delivery, you know, built to order that was actually the best practice before COVID, are uh, those still best practice for the future? Mm-hmm. Um, because um, not just profit is, is the most important thing, and COVID taught us, I think, uh, you know, there are, there are ethic values we need to take care of. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think the triple bottom line uh, quote is exactly there are planet issues we need to take care of, there are people issues we need to take care of. So this, is, this becomes things I think the board are more, you know, open up to think about, uh, you know, what is the real big picture mm-hmm. and how the world is connected and what does it mean to our strategy, to our portfolio? I think this become a more permanent question. The strategy and portfolio, it's, it's, um, I think it's not just about innovation. People think about, you know, innovation is, is maybe one of the driver, but it's not just only about innovation. Innovation alone or technology innovation would not give you a sustainable um, growing future. I think you need to think about how to balance my portfolio in terms of what the society is going. Mm-hmm. And, this and is, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is fascinating. Right? Yeah. What the society is going in there, there are urbanization trends, there are, you know, uh, environment trend. Uh, there are a lot of uh, multi-generation issues coming up and what people is working for. People is not only asking for payment, a paycheck. When people buy uh, stuff from a brand, it's not just because, uh, you know, it's a good they are looking at what this brand stands for, right? Mm-hmm. What do they do for the planet? Mm-hmm. So those are all the things coming up. I think this is a new dimension, a requirement for both the executive and also for the board. Um, shareholder value is not the only value <laughs> to be strived for mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. This is what I think observe. Thank you for broadening this horizon for us and giving us this overview also on the macroeconomic dimensions and on the resilience of supply chain, which is a new dimension and that this drives different behavior than optimizing for profit if you optimize for sustainability and for resilience. Thank you for that. Jürgen, um, you are um, one step before creating a company that is fully standalone. What is, when you think of preparing your company and the company for the future, What's on your mind? What is on your do list? Well, actually, um, it's an, an incredible, interesting journey to to establish a standalone business. And um, what are our main priorities? I think um, last year we we spent a lot of time on clarifying our vision our mission, and then also our strategy. And to articulate this vision, mission, and strategy to our people, so uh, starting to to, uh, strengthen our communication, 
in various forms. I think communication, it, it's all about communication today. And um, being in the industry now for, for 27 years, um, I think so much communication we are doing today, I haven't experienced myself in the last 25 years. So mm. it's a completely new form. Um, but it's not only about communication, it's also how to communicate. So we, we made a lot of experience about not only to send emails. So we trying different channels to, to communication. Um, personally, I have started to vlog meaning video blogging to 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 give small videos to uh, to the employees explaining um our our strategy explaining the purpose of our doing and what it's all all about so also broadening uh, the the reason why our people are uh, part of this uh, if this uh, on this journey um to make it even more precise, uh, our strategic priorities, we uh, clearly communicated for 2020, so even before COVID, so in, in January this year, um, and it's quite interesting to see that uh, in parallel to, to Philip Kotler, who said people, planet, profit, and uh, we came also up with the three Ps. And it's very interesting. Our three Ps are people, product, and profit. And exactly in this order. So the most important priority for, for us, uh, not only for this year, but we put, put it really on the top of our agenda, is people. So people satisfaction, and especially around uh, all these topics mentioned by Daniel on, on leadership, on what is the, the right leadership for the future to make uh, uh, the organization not only sustainable and, and resilient, but uh, also a good uh, uh, work, a good place to, to work. And secondly, then uh, the product, because I'm, I'm strongly believe if we do have the right people and if we have uh, empowered these people in the right way, then they will develop the best products. And with the best products, the, the profit, which is, of course, important for an organization, uh, will come automatically. So, therefore, the clear order, and uh, I repeat it, um, within every telephone call, within every vlog, I say clearly it's always people, product, profit, uh, and of course, uh, then the, the entire communication around it. And now we, we, we have started the process on, as uh, described earlier, on the values and, and principles we want to live. And um, therefore, um, next uh, week, we will start a series of, of workshops with our employees to, uh, to uh, engage them actively in this process to identifying the right values uh, for, for us as a standalone business. And uh, I think um, this final step for the next couple of months will be interesting to see, especially how these values perhaps may change due to the course of, of COVID-19. Uh, but, but actually, I think uh, COVID-19 is, is still um, 
a relatively small time frame uh, in, in terms of our cultural ideas we want to achieve. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jürgen. Um, the, I mean, the, uh, one sign of a great discussion is that you're running out of time. Um, I'm getting uh, tons of messages that we are kind of a bit late, but I would really like to continue this round because I think this is the essence and we will, we will have to be adaptable afterwards to fix the, uh, the rest of the agenda. So, Marcel, if we, if we look at Celonis, when you think of preparing Celonis for the future, um, what kind of next steps are on your do list? So, that's a great question, and definitely, as we still see ourselves as a startup, or now it's fair to say with close to 1,000 people um, grown-up uh, startup, we definitely see our future in continuing investing in technology and in the people to drive the digital transformation and to provide cloud solutions, which really can help customers um, to become better and also drives their digital transformation successfully across all the different um, areas. And of course, we need to go because we all know how it is with technology. Therefore, the adoption in all the different markets, geographies, industries is absolutely key for us. But that's also very important. We decided that, number one, we have now defined our core values which we um, which we have introduced to our team that we need also to ensure that we have the right culture because when you hire and now I've seen um, an email came yesterday about uh, the new hires for for this month it is 43 people um, you need to see that you really have also a foundation of values which helps you to drive and be successful. And that's very important. And therefore, I really admire the strategy, what's, um, what um, the, um, our co-CEOs have established um, together with the executive team to ensure that in the center are definitely our people. And with great people, we can focus also that our customers achieve great results. So I want to keep it short. I know you're running out of time, but I hope this helps a little bit to share some insights. And we really hope we can go from the 100 million um, to a multiplier of that in the next years um, and seeing a lot of companies being successful in defining their future as well. Thank you, Marcel. And we will obviously follow you and the development of Celonis going forward. Daniel, closing statement from you. So when it comes to um, continued your journey or the journey of SAP, when it comes to the approach to hierarchy, what's, what's next on your do list? What's the big challenge to tackle next? Good question. Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest challenge is um, to what we've done so far was a little bit of an, an exercise that we did um, below the surface. So intentionally, we didn't say, you know, we give us the big brand and saying, so this is unlearning hierarchy, we have 20 people doing this. It's a small team right now that, that works on, on this um, very topic. Um, it's, uh, I think the journey of making this public in the sense of getting the buy-in also from, from the board. Uh, so we had a, a good meeting with Christian Klein, even before he came into, in, in, into the office of, of being sole CEO. Um, I guess he, he understood the approach, which is basically a, a pretty different one because usually organizations look into how can we make out of 10 boxes, five boxes, how can mm -hmm. we turn two boxes uh, into 10 Uh, and then shifted from horizontal to vertical, um, just to be a little bit ironic on this one. Um, and, and that's a different approach. Um, so I think um, getting the buy-in from the top plus um, giving this process a little bit of time. 
right? Because um, I, I think, and, and what we, I guess, heard so, so many times here, speed, speed, speed. And I think that's precisely the nature. Uh, it's not that we can choose if there's speed or not. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way things go. Uh, but we also need to think about the, the meaningful piece of it. So, of course, we can do something pretty quickly and then transform it and, and think, okay, once it's communicated, it's done. But the, 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 the human piece in the equation will always be the same, right? Although the world changes a lot, um, people need to adapt and uh, people need to get more, become more adaptive. But at the same time, we are still human. <clears throat> We're still humans. And we still have or, or face the complexity that change is not so easy, right? And so even if change, if you got it here cognitively, um, you need to also bring it into your day-to-day -day, um, mindset and, and, and actions. And I guess this is the, the biggest piece. So getting the, the, the involvement and the skin in the game from, from our board members and then also like putting some kind of a protective um, shield over the organizations that really need to turn upside down and, and, and give them a bit more time on this. I think these two challenges would be the biggest ones. Thank you, Daniel. And I think when listening to all the five of you and all the different organizational challenges that you're facing, it really becomes clear that different organizations in different maturity stages need different kind of interventions in order to go the next steps in terms of culture. And I think uh, that, that is a great representation. Um, I will open it up to Doris um, in a second to um, maybe go through two, three questions from the audience. There are probably more, but we are unfortunately are solidly over time. Um, so, Doris, what are the key two or three questions from the audience? Just a sec. There is, has been We cannot hear you. So um, I take over. Yeah. Okay. I've got it. Mm -hmm. Question from Manuel Meyer. Um, the question to the panel is: That question is: Is unlearning hierarchy or becoming more innovative really a matter of culture, or rather something in organizational development processes? So, is it culture or OD process? Um, I'm not sure who wants to take this. Daniel, it looks like it's targeted in your direction. But I can have a try. Um, not sure if I fully got the question, to be very honest, um, but I still try, try to answer it. So um, I think um, that the topic of um, unlearning hierarchy or, or like, like we position it is, um, as I said, a deliberate um, notion and provocation, but then also connected to an action that we take in order to you know, look at our, let's say, bureaucratic um, illusion um, that we sometimes have in, in companies that we say, well, that's the org chart and that's how the company works. And I mean, we all don't know it doesn't work like this, right? I mean, an org chart is an org chart. It tells us something, but um, especially in bigger companies, the informal um, hierarchies, the informal connections and, and, and relationships are even more important. Um, and I guess SAP is a great example for this. Um, so, um, yes, it's part, I'd say, of the culture of an organization because, I mean, I have worked uh, at Siemens, Deutsche Telekom and, and at SAP. So three huge tax companies uh, with always over 100,000 people. Um, and um, from the outside, you would say super different. And then there are some things that are pretty similar and others surprisingly very, very different, although probably even in an, in an um, industry that is in the vicinity of each other. So um, certainly it's a cultural thing um, on the one hand side. The organizational development practice, I would say, um, is a mean to get to a certain end. And we don't define that end. And I think this is very important. We don't go into organizations and say, you guys need to get more self-organized. Mm -hmm. Because that's not our dogma that, we, uh, that we're attached to. What we do is we go in 
we have a conversation with the leader and, and the team and we discuss with them about where do they want to go in order to you know um, design a purpose fit process to get there and really understand what their motivations are behind because just saying hey i want to become a little more, a bit more agile i mean it's nice right um, but the question is not so much can i turn my organization into a drive uh, can i develop new roles but the question is what is fit for purpose and um, we spend a lot of time in the beginning to really do that um, that, that analysis and to get that understanding of where we want to go and what is the pressing the the, the, the pressure point here um, because we don't want to get people just into a process and say yeah we want to go and become more agile question is why for um, so that's cast and i would also like to say a few words about that um, you, you, is it a culture question? My, my personal view on it is absolutely. And is it a company culture or is it more, um, I would say, um, a region, regional culture? So why am I saying this? When I, you work in a Scandinavian uh, a corporation that has a Scandinavian origin, you don't have a hierarchy necessarily because in Scandinavia, the underlying culture amongst people in daily life is that everybody is equal. Everybody is on the same level. No matter what trade you are, no matter what money you make, we as, an, as a culture in Scandinavia, we don't have the need to be higher than the other. So when you have an organization that it has its origin in, in a Scandinavian context, that hierarchical discussion is not really necessary. Mm -hmm. So from my experience working in different uh, corporations with different origin, I, I definitely say, yes, it is a cultural thing. Um, what, the, what to do if you want to change? I believe personally you need to change the top of the company, put in individuals all the way at the top, who, don't, who, 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 who show this by their person, by their way of communicating, the way they are, that power is, doesn't matter. It matters who you are and what you're capable of, not where in the organization you are. So can you just take a, you know, a very theoretical approach to changing that? I don't believe in it. I think mm -hmm. you need to make some drastic changes in the top if you really want to succeed in this kind of matters. Great. Thanks, Luis. Thanks, Luis, for that. And now I have to put my time management hat on, unfortunately. No. <laughs> and I would like to thank the panel uh, very, very much for your insights, for the variety, for the breadth of your experiences and sharing this with us, taking the time for being with us. This is so great. So thank you very, very much for that. We are very grateful for this. And you are all invited to stick around. Obviously, during the discussion, we will be in smaller groups after the break. And, uh, and yeah, and then we can take it from there and maybe have more discussions and continue this. So thank you. Thank you very much. And what have you learned, Karsten? I've learned a lot of things. Uh, I like particular the statement from Daniel Vonier from uh, SAP, this notion of letting go of power from those who are leading and stepping up and taking on power from those who are being led. This is obviously a very difficult um, process that cannot be ordered but it fits very nicely also with the results of the study that we, that we conducted before the actual um, panel discussion so what is it what kind of culture is it that we need in organizations 
in order to be ready for the challenges of the future and the outcome were more creativity, more risk-taking, more cross-functional collaboration, less silos, more trust, more psychological safety, um, faster decisions, increased flexibility and adaptability. And I think this is, this is the things that are really the, the essence. The question is, how do we get this going? And this is precisely also the topic of this podcast, to hear examples, listen from leaders, from thought leaders, um, how they are approaching the situation, what they see working and not working. What can we look forward to in the next episode of Leaders Talk? My next guest is going to be Daniel Vonier from SAP. Um, he is in charge of unlearning hierarchy at SAP. That sounds very provocative and we will try to understand what this means in detail and how his work, um, how his teams um, are going forward to achieving this bold goal. This was an episode of Leaders Talk, the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world, powered by Leadership Choices. If you want to give us feedback, please send an email to leaderstalk at leadershipchoices.com. Thank you for listening.